Proverbs. All right. Proverbs chapter number 17. We got down to verse 14 last week, and so that's where we pick up tonight, Proverbs 17 and verse 14. Remember, I've got to have you out of here by 8 o'clock, and uh, so we'll, we'll cover as much material as we can without trying to, to really rush. I'd rather cover one verse and uh, it be meaningful than to go through a hundred and nobody get anything out of it. Verse number 14, the beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. You know, I think it does us good to think back in those days, you know, how it was because uh, these are such different times. If you had told me whenever I was a boy that uh, that that basically would be dependent on bottled water for drinking water and paying someone for it, I'd have thought you were crazy. I, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I remember the first time I heard about a place, I think it was in New York City, you know, where hamburgers up there were a dollar, you know. And I, what? How can that be possible that a hamburger uh, cost a dollar? It just didn't, didn't seem possible. Well, it's sometimes hard for us to identify with what was going on back in those days in that part of the world where water was such a precious commodity. Listen, they went to war over wells. Uh, they, they, you know, they killed people trying to get the water in wells. and It was something that you did not waste. And even a very small opening in a reservoir would soon become enlarged and allow the water to escape if it wasn't stopped immediately. You know, it's like a like getting a little hole in a dam. And, and if you don't stop it up right now, after a while, it's going to enlarge to the point that you won't be able to do anything about it. That's what he's dealing with here. Uh, the beginning of strife. I, I was sitting there a while ago and thinking ahead, and I, I just thought about those the beginning of strife i hate strife i you know i've often said whenever i was a young preacher and uh, fighting against everything under the sun and i can remember going around preaching in revival meetings and we had what we call contender crusades and i just go into an area that didn't have a baptist church or didn't have an independent baptist church and i'd rent a building and we uh uh, we'd uh, go there and meet, and I'd preach, and sometimes we had good crowds, sometimes didn't have hardly anybody. But back then, preached a lot of messages uh, like uh, against communism, for example. Uh, that's not to say you didn't preach the gospel, but uh, preached a lot about end-time prophecies, you know, the coming of the Lord and the Antichrist and all of that and trying to get people to see uh, how things were shaping up, because by the way, that's that's what a lot of people were interested in, and so it gave you a doorway to communicate with them the gospel of Christ. But the point I'm trying to make is, I didn't really mind a good fight back then, as long as I, you know, as long as I knew that I was on the right, and if you wanted to argue, I'd argue with you as long as you wanted to, and and so forth. But but the older I get, the more I hate strife. I'll do just almost anything except compromise God's Word 
to stay out of an argument. I, ju- I don't want to argue. I don't uh, just strife is something that 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 is so horrible and terrible that's done so much damage. And, and so we need to do everything within our power uh, to protect ourselves from it because these large problems arise out of things that are small and seemingly insignificant uh, if we don't take corrective measures. The other day somebody posted on Facebook, uh, it was a flood, I don't even know where it was at, but it had these two great big metal culverts that washed out the road. Washed out. Anybody else see that? Some some of you did. Might have posted it. I don't know. And these people are standing there with a the camera on it, and all of a sudden you see the asphalt as it begins to buckle, and all of a sudden these two huge metal culverts just come up and are washed out by the flood waters, and uh, that's the way it is. And whenever, whenever you think about strife, uh, and we think about the need for peace, the need for peace in society or in our families or in the church or whatever, it's absolutely crucial that we learn how to mend relationships. And just letting things go is not the answer. If we don't deal with the problem in, in, in the proper way, it's just going to get worse. It's kind of like kind of like a cancer. It's just going to keep growing and growing and growing until you cut it out. And so that's the whole idea. He says, leave off contention. Uh, we're trying to prevent strife. Leave off contention. Notice before be meddled with. I, uh, I I I could talk more about that, but you know, a lot a lot of times we begin to meddle with things that's not our business, and we, you know, we got. Two people maybe having a disagreement or something, and there's some people who think they've always had to get right in the middle of that. They got to be the peacemaker or whatever it is. And I want to tell you, just because somebody else has got a problem doesn't mean that you ought to get involved in it, and uh, and because it's just going to make it worse. Now, verse 15: He that justifieth the wicked and so there's two different people here now. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. So here's two ways in which justice is perverted. He talks about justifying the wicked, and he talks about condemning the just. I think it's interesting, and I preached from this here, of course, a few weeks ago, whenever... uh, Whenever, you know, Pilate was in the dilemma that he was in about what he was going to do with Barabbas. And the Jews said, this was their response, John 18 and verse number 40, not this man, but Barabbas. We're not going to have this man rule over us. Don't, don't, don't let him go, but, uh, but Barabbas, let him go. You see both of those things there. Notice here, they are condemning the just and they are justifying the wicked, and um, so they're, they're guilty of both. When you think about justice, it's always impartial. It's never tainted by favoritism. It's honest and it's fair. I, I love what one writer said. I don't remember who it was, but it was good, and I, I jotted it down. And he said, justice is miscarried as often as it is served. 
I'd, you know, I'd like to think that's not true, but it probably is. Justice is miscarried as often as it is served, not just in the courtroom, but in everyday life. Good people get persecuted, and evil men and women are applauded as stars and heroes. Somehow, our priorities have been badly shaken up. Boy, is that ever true or not? I tell you, you got somebody that's got the morals of an alley cat, but because, you know, they make so many touchdowns a game or score so many points a game, all of a sudden they're a hero being idolized by everyone. Or, you know, maybe it's a Hollywood actor that just is totally immoral, and yet people nearly worship folks like that. And, you know, it's just so sad. Now, the whole thing of it is, when we think about this, we can't control what other people do. I, I can't help it. My mind always goes back to the O.J. Simpson trial. And I know that's not the only miscarried, uh, miscarriage of justice. There have been a lot of them. But, but that one there really impacted, I think, a nation. And now as we look back on it, I, I don't know of anybody that would say, you know, he, he really was innocent, you know, he, uh, it was all fair. Everybody realizes by now that he, he got out of it. I mean, in this life, he got out of it, even though he's in prison, not for that, but for something else. But we think about those miscarriages of justice. And probably we see the tip of the iceberg of what really goes on, all of the political favors. You know, there's a lot of been a lot of talk in the last couple of years especially. Uh, boy, I didn't aim to get off on all of this. But there's been a lot of talk about the strong possibility of of whether it's Obama or the Democratic Party or whatever else got their little black book with all of their list of everything to where when it comes down to an issue that you better not oppose us on this. And the reason people believe that, and the reason it might be true, and notice I said might be, I don't, I, I, I don't have the facts to prove it, but something is wrong whenever these people, you know, are so adamantly opposed to certain things, and then it comes down to the vote. Paul Ryan, for example, I get emails all the time to finally I blocked all of his emails because I've probably sent 20 or 30 in response to him and never got a response from him and all of the other Republicans. I said, I'll start supporting you again when you get rid of Paul Ryan. You put somebody in there like that that's supposedly going to take a stand, and the first thing they do is cave in to Obama's wishes on this spending bill and, and what have you. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so the question is, why would people do that? Why would they do that unless somebody's holding something over their head that you better, you know, you better not get in my way on this? Now, now, folks, this happens all the time, not just in politics. This happens in life in general to where people will go out of their way to justify the wicked because, after all, you know, that's my cousin or something, and they'll bend over backwards trying to justify their sinful behavior, or they'll condemn somebody that is just. 
simply because maybe they don't like something about them. They, they disagree on some other issue entirely different. So what do they do? They condemn a just person. Boy, let me tell you, that's a dangerous thing. We often think about that verse in the Bible where the Lord says, touch not my prophets, you know, and do, do my prophets no harm and so forth. And everybody applies that, you know, to the preacher. But let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing doing anything wrong to any of God's kids. It's not just the preacher. We better be careful how we treat any of God's children because he takes that personally. Verse 16, Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool? Now, this is going to be a question now. Wherefore, why is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? In other words, you know, here's some some guy that's got the money in the hand to get wisdom and get an education or whatever, but doesn't have any heart for it. And you know, a lot of people in life that think money can buy anything, but they're wrong. Money cannot buy the most important things in life. And let me tell you, one of the most important things in life is wisdom. We have got to have wisdom to operate effectively. We've got to have wisdom if we're going to minister effectively or run a household or whatever we do. We might look, we might not be the best educated person in the world, but that doesn't keep us from having wisdom. I, I, I embarrass myself all the time the other day. I, uh, and talking about water a while ago, I intentionally stayed away uh, from cistern uh, because I, you, you know, I, I grew up grew up saying things a certain way, and to this day, uh, I'm able to say cistern or cistern or whatever. Well, Bev catches all of that. She, I mean, boy, she's on top of that, and uh, uh, none, none of that gets by her. And 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 she doesn't mean it in a a bad way, but in and by the way, you should have heard me before she started helping me. So she, she she's done a lot of help. So I'm not criticizing her when I say that. But I'm saying, and, and I can remember an old preacher back in back in Kentucky, and I I really believe myself. And I've heard the comment over and over again about this particular man. He's dead and gone now. Wasn't an educated man at all. And everybody spoke about him being the wisest preacher that they had ever met in their life. And there was a reason they did that. So what I'm saying is you don't have to be rich. You don't even have to be well-educated to be wise because wisdom has to do with using your knowledge aright. And you can have all of the knowledge in the world, and if you don't know how to do the right thing in the right way, it's not going to do you any good. So you can have all of the money in the world. You can buy all of the very best textbooks. You can pay your way through the most prestigious universities and what have you and get a degree and still not have wisdom. To have wisdom, we have to have a heart for it, right? That's what he's saying there. That's the point. Why does the fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom if he doesn't have a heart to it? He has no real desire for it, but he's got the money, so he supposes that uh, you know that he can he can buy it. I, I'm glad that God made wisdom available 
to, to any of his children that will ask him for it. And listen, we desperately need wisdom, the, the wisdom that's from above, because all of us, regardless of whether you're a parent, uh, whoever you are, David was talking about a while ago these people that that are under him there at work and people that he has to deal with. Brother Rick is a businessman, owns his company and whatever. He's got to deal with people like that. And it's it's very difficult sometimes to know what to do because you've got to do the right thing and, you know, not let your feelings override your reasoning because a lot of times, you know, you feel sorry for somebody and they may be robbing you blind. You know, and, and so something has to be done. And we need wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. Well, boy, whenever you think about the, the principle of this proverb here, you could apply it to, to all the other areas of life here because, uh, you know, instead of just talking about wisdom, you could say you, that it applies to everything because Here's somebody that's got the money, you know, to get whatever it is that, that they want, and yet they have no heart for it. And a lot of times we deprive ourselves of the things that God wants to give us and things that God would do for us. He'd be glad to, and we deprive ourselves of those things because why? We don't have any heart for it. We, we, we really don't. Let me tell you, and believe me whenever I say there are churches there are churches that their attitude is us for and no more. You know, they are absolutely perfectly content with the group of people they've got, whether it be 10 or whether it's 100 or whatever it is, you know, and usually those churches are made up of two or three or four families. And, and by the way, they don't want any outsiders. They don't want anybody rocking the boat, don't want anybody getting in their way. And what a horrible, terrible thing it is for people to think that way and, and, and that they lose all of the blessings they could have had, you know, simply because they're satisfied with what they've got. That's the way it is with the fool. He has the money in the hand to buy the wisdom, but he doesn't have a heart for it. Verse 17, a friend loveth at all times. But I'm glad. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity well boy i don't know about you but this is really a delightful change in subjects for me i thank you lord i was a you know i get off of this strife and off of this injustice and stuff like that and now we we're talking about move from fools to friends i'd lot rather talk about friends than fools wouldn't you i love what old old preacher charles bridges said years ago he wrote, he said, it's only found where divine grace has melded away natural selfishness into disinterested love. Think about that. Talking about friendship now. Where divine grace has melded away our natural selfishness into disinterested love. That, you know, that we, we no longer are concerned and interested about our own affairs but all of a sudden our main concern is for the other person and i'm afraid we live in a day where a lot of people use the word friend without really understanding what friendship is all about 
I remember when I had the radio broadcast in Tennessee and uh, and I had sort of a byline, you know, whenever I would come on there. And, it was, of course, this is, you know, these are all farm people there where I was located in Humboldt, Tennessee. And I'd get on and open up the broadcast, good, say something like, good morning, you know, friends and neighbors, howdy, how are you doing today? Or something real corny like that. You know, when I moved to Cincinnati and had a daily radio broadcast up there, I had to kind of change that because that was even too country for the country folks. But but down there in Tennessee, it worked great. But here I was, you know, calling everybody friend, and I didn't even know them. You see what I'm saying? A lot of times we just throw that word around, and um, we don't even think about what it really means. But a friend, uh, it tells us right here, loves at all times. They're going to love us, you know, whether we have plenty or whether we are in poverty. Friends love us whether we succeed or whether we fail. They love us in spite of our faults and in spite of our failures. And most of the time, it's displayed better during adversity than any other time in our life when we're going through difficulties. You know, it's really a hard thing to... uh, uh, and I mentioned this the other day, the difficulties of life. And, and, and I mentioned losing a friend or being betrayed by a friend is the way I put it. It just so happened I, I commented to a young man. and he, He's the son of, of was my best friend. And uh, like the brother that I never had, I grew up with all through life. Uh, from the third grade, and uh, he was in the second grade actually, and and never had a dear friend in life. And the amazing thing is, this guy invites me to church. I start going to church, and I get saved. I surrender, preach. I start preaching. And we had a great friendship until I really got serious about serving God and started pastoring the church. And, and all of a sudden, he didn't have any time for me anymore. Let me tell you, that hurts. Uh, and uh, a friend loveth at all times. He died without me or his family or anybody else there. I said to his son yesterday, I looked at the picture there on Facebook, and I said, it's, it's like I'm looking into the eyes of your daddy. He looked so much like him. And... Uh, so so the the point is if you're a true friend to somebody you're listen and it doesn't mean you go along with everything they say it doesn't mean you condone all of their sinful activity it listen it doesn't even mean that you won't rebuke them in fact if you're really a good close friend there might be sometime you'll get in their face and read them the riot act but you'll do it out of love and you'll keep loving them when the lecture's over. You won't turn your back on them and walk away from them. And notice here that that we went from the talking about the fools to the friends. And notice now he ties it together with the family. Because he says here that a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You've probably heard people say, you know, he's like a brother to me. Like a brother to me. 
And, and, and I, I got to tell you, you expect your brothers and sisters to be there when you're going through hard times, right? You expect that out of them. It's really amazing how, um, and, and probably brothers are more prone to this than the than the girls, you know. But it's really amazing. You take two brothers, and and uh, boy, they will argue. They'll even fight. But you let somebody else pick on one of them, and you have to fight both of them. And, and and you know that I think that's the kind of protective attitude we have ought to have toward our friends, and uh, uh, too many times we let people just run all over our friends and badmouth them, you know, ruin their reputation, and you know just walk away without saying anything. Let me tell you, stand up for your friends. I mean, just tell them, look, I, I really don't want to hear that. What you say might be true, but I, I'd, it's not going to do me any good to hear it, and I'd appreciate it if you don't repeat it. And so it's a wonderful thing to have good friends. I, one of the great things I love about this church is that, you know, we're more than just fellow church members. If you don't have friends, if you don't have any friends in the church, I'm telling you, you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. Because the Bible says if a man's going to have friends, he must first show himself friendly. And there's no reason that you can't have friends here in this church. And by the way, I've always believed our very best friends ought to be among those that we worship with every week. Thank you for being here. We've got to wrap it up and get out of here tonight because they're going to come busting through the doors here in a little bit. And we don't want to... We don't want to hold them up. But thank you so much for being so faithful week after week. You'll never know what an encouragement that is to, to a pastor. So.